The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us for one last time is only half of the Predator Minute team, because John unfortunately crossed the Duke, so he's Mm. been crossed off. So only Jack (laughs) Glover from the Predator Minute is here with us today. Hello, Eric and Molly. Thank you for having me once again. So happy to be here. Yes, welcome. Welcome to Minute 54. This has got to be one of the most exciting minutes of the movie. Uh, It starts with Snake, Maggie, and Brain hiding from the Duke. It ends with Maggie telling Brain the Duke's looking for him. But that's not really why we're here to talk. We are here today to talk about possibly the greatest automobile in the history of Hollywood. (laughs) The Duke's limo, Cadillac, whatever. What a fucking car. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i remember seeing this the first time and being like what the fuck with this car (laughs) there was like two scenes where i was genuinely like what is going on and it was the broadway musical and it was this fucking car and it's the most amazing vehicle i was so jealous like whoever came up with the the concept of slapping chandeliers on a cadillac is just the pure genius of it well, and the and the chandeliers are not even like inside the car or near the the back where the people sit. They're on the front of the fucking hood. <laughs> it's the first thing you see. It's incredible. It's like I'm I'm here. Here's my chandeliers. Uh, take notice, bitches. <laughs> and, and, and and the chandeliers are functional, and they don't even. I mean. The car's headlights work, so he doesn't. The chandeliers, technically, they're they're really there for show. I mean, it's not like you know, with, you know like the car's busted up because they're in the prison, and oh shit, I need to be able to see at night when I drive. Uh, I'll put some chandeliers on here. He put the chandeliers on because he could, and he made <laughs> sure though that they got light bulbs in them that work too. Yeah, that's impressive engineering right there. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how you uh, wire up that electrical. I don't uh, know. Yeah, but um, yeah, they all work, and and uh, we haven't mentioned it yet. But that disco ball hanging from the rear <laughs> mirror—he's got a fucking disco ball hanging from the rear mirror. <laughs> Not like a little size. one, yeah, full size. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like it's in his way. Like you could imagine him, like God, like moving it while he's trying to look left or right to turn, <laughs> but keeps it there. Because it looks so good. And they got lights along the back, too. I mean, it's not just the chandeliers in the front. He's got a whole string of lights running along the back of the car also. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it goes by so quick. Is that like little spotlights or Christmas lights? What do you I, guys I think, think is back there? I think it's Christmas lights. It is hard to see. I actually had to watch that like one or two seconds a bunch of times. But I, it looks like it's a string of Christmas lights. Yeah, I would, I would buy again, that. again, how the hell are they, how are they working? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is their power source? Yeah, because wiring things like that up to a car's battery requires a. I'm not an uh, electricity expert, but I believe that right. You need to like you need a converter. 
right? Because things inside a car run on a certain number of amps or whatever. I'm going to sound someone out there is like, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> right now. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to make a guess about that one. But I feel like there's, you know, you have to, if it's possible to like plug normal, like, you know, plugs into your car, but you have to like buy a converter that you can plug into like your cigarette lighter and then it converts the signal into something that works for a device. But anyway, all that aside, it is a pretty amazing setup that he's got going here. And I would like to state also that um, I don't know if this is just a movie error or what, but it appears if you freeze frame this in around the 10, 11 second mark, that the registration is still on the windshield. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask about that because I was like, are these like parking permits for something? <laughs> or, you know, because like I know in San Francisco, they have these like little like sticky like card things that kind of automatically run that you can buy. They're like a fast pass to go across the bridges. So I was like, well, maybe New York in the 80s. Did they have something like that? Like, do you guys have something like that right now? Or do you like how does that work with your tolls? I mean, we have Easy Pass, but Easy Pass hasn't been around. Uh, I don't know, uh, definitely after 2000. I mean, nowhere near the making of this movie. Um, I mean, New York's uh, our our car registration is put in the windshield in the in the corner near actually where the driver is. I mean, I don't know if it was different mm-hmm. back in 1980. I was five years old. It could have been different. Uh, New York definitely doesn't have any kind of zone parking like some cities do, so it wouldn't be that. Uh, perhaps it's just some stickers from whatever impound yard they found this car in. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about the two guys driving the car, by the way? Oh my god. Badasses. They're wearing sunglasses in the middle of the night, by the way. Well, the one riding shotgun is the Duke. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Still wearing sunglasses. (laughs) Wearing sunglasses at night. Uh, Well, that that brings us to the Duke. Um... We are past the halfway point of this movie, and here comes the guy who the script kind of sets up as the main villain. It's incredible that you could go this deep into a movie before seeing the bad guy. Although, I actually, I guess your movie has a pretty similar setup, actually. Yeah, that's, that's true. For a while into the Predator. Yeah, we're on minute, currently we're on uh, nine. I think we just, and it's really just now that... Um, We've started to see. We still actually haven't seen the predator not in his camouflage. Um, they have they have yet to to show that. So yeah, almost we're almost an hour in, and we haven't gotten a non camouflaged predator yet. So got some parallels there. So the Duke gets out of the car, and if you're going to drive a car that looks like this, then you gotta you gotta deck yourself out. <laughs> you match as well. Duke gets out of the car. He's got the awesome hat. He's got the epaulets on the shoulders of his jacket. He's wearing hand gauntlets for crying out loud. And oh man! And is he shirtless, wearing a, yes, a suit jacket? Is. Yep, he's yeah. got the jacket with like a medallion on his neck, and he's got no t-shirt underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> That's confidence right there. That's confidence. I could never wear that look. No, like, what was the last time you saw someone on the street wear some type of like a blazer with like no shirt on? You know, like, I don't know that I've ever actually seen that out in the wild. I mean, I know from like videos that it existed in the 80s, like the like the Duran Duran uh, Hungry Like the Wolf video is one of the guys. 
who's like shirtless with a jacket on, which always bothered me as a kid, <laughs> even because it made no sense to me. It wasn't yeah. like something sexy was just like too incongruous for me to like be about. And then this is kind of the same thing of like, you know, I just want to be like, put a shirt on. It's just like, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing with a jacket and no shirt? Like it can't go there with the fashion. No, I think the only time I've ever seen this in the wild is like a homeless person in the summertime. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, that's not the Duke. So he's making a stylistic choice here. Um, yes. Not a practical one. Uh, but he, I have to say, he he rocks it. He's looking good. He's looking <laughs> good. I, I give him a thumbs up because uh, it's, it's a look I could never pull off. And uh, yeah, so... Kudos to him. Oh, it's a look I wouldn't even try to pull off. <laughs> now, that's, we got some differences in the script here. In the draft, uh, he's got three scars down his face. I guess they mm. decided they didn't want to invest in the makeup for that. He is wearing the fedora. So the fedora, even from the beginning, has always been there. He's got sunglasses, but they say in the script the sunglasses are taped together at the hinges. But here's the big change. The draft script describes him as having short blonde hair. Oh. And then once we get to the shooting script... They don't mention the hair color anymore. Short blonde hair obviously means in the original script, John Carpenter had the Duke as a white guy. And I don't know if they cast Isaac Hayes and then said whatever, or if he removed the description and then cast Isaac Hayes. Hmm. Yeah, otherwise it'd be like a Simon Phoenix scenario from uh, Demolition Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the only other explanation there. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And yeah. so we do have Isaac Hayes. Uh, you know, I, he's probably most famous for being the guy that sang the Shaft theme song. Um, he actually also, in doing research for him here, he wrote the song Soul Man, which I never realized. And, uh, you know, a very long, successful musical career. He did some acting as well other than this movie. I remember him from I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Uh, he's one of the, the main good guys. But the, the thing that uh, it just... I've always wondered about is you've got Isaac Hayes in this movie and he doesn't, there's no music from Isaac Hayes in the movie. He has, he does not perform any of the music. And I wonder if maybe would it have been too meta for there to have been a song on the soundtrack done by him. And I feel like if this movie were to be made today though, and you had someone like him in this role, I think that they would have him singing the song that played over the end credits. Mm. yeah yeah feels like a missed opportunity a little bit like i would have loved to to have heard an an isaac hayes song play when he shows up in the movie um but yeah i could totally see it being something over the end credits absolutely yeah i'm wondering if this is more of like a phil collins thing like (laughs) phil collins had a uh guest spot on uh, miami vice right um, although, to be fair to your point, there was some um, several of his pieces, Genesis pieces, you know, throughout. Um, but I, you know, I kind of like that there isn't any mention of him being a musician. There's something like infinitely cool to me about him just being the Duke and in, there, without any kind of reference to his music. Mm. It's just like he's the Duke. And there's something about that I really enjoy that we mm. don't have to do like a secondary you know, tie in, you know, to his, his, you know, I guess you could call it quote unquote primary creativity. Although having said that he was in a bunch of movies that I didn't know. I didn't know he was in Robin Hood men in tights. He actually uh, was on. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that movie. And I was like, I don't remember him at all. Um, You know, he was on the A team. He was on Miami vice as well. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So 
he's done some other, you know, acting stuff. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about him that I was reading, good old Wikipedia, uh, that he became the third African American after Sidney Poitier and Hattie McDaniel to win an to win an Academy Award in any competitive field covered by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. He also won two Grammys that year that he won his Academy Award, and this was for Shaft. Oh, he won Best Original Song or something? Yep. Oh, very cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. And yeah, he's, I, I, Go ahead. Oh, oh I was just say he's. I think he's kind of perfectly cast in this role. He's oh, the yes. right amount of cool, the right amount of intimidation. Um, I, I think it's perfect. And uh, speaking of research for him uh, for this minute here, this is a really great tie-in. At the Stax Museum of American Soul Music in Memphis, they have on display what was Isaac Hayes' gold-plated Cadillac on a rotating stage in the museum. The Cadillac was built especially for him in 1972 as part of a contract negotiation, and it has a fur-lined interior, a TV, a refrigerated bar, 24-carat gold detailing on the exterior, and gold windshield wipers. Oh, my God. And Hayes actually did use wow. the car. He would cruise around town in his car. Yeah, I, mean, I that would, is too. That's you know? <laughs> That's amazing. He had his own Duke's car. Yes. <laughs> Gold windshield wipers. Oh, my God. Man. How do that you replace awesome. those? <laughs> <laughs> you never do. <laughs> you never turn them on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, very cool. Isaac Hayes is the epitome of cool. Yes. He is. That was 72? Uh, yeah, 1972. Oh and I God. love that he got it as part of a contract negotiation too. So it's you know, I mean, it's like you know, listen, I'm not recording this album unless you give me this tricked out car. Uh, do you guys know if uh, Eric Hayes was or Isaac Hayes? Excuse me, Isaac Hayes was brought in by uh, by John Carpenter. Was that his idea or um, kind of how he became connected with the movie? You know, honestly, I have not come across anything that said exactly how he was cast. Molly, have you ever mm. come? Across, I've, I haven't seen anything about that. I tried to run a couple of Google searches on that because I was curious what the backstory was and I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, just curious. Didn't know if uh, it was John Carpenter's first choice or kind of how he came to be involved in the project. Um, Surely, certainly made an impact. Um, One of the most memorable characters in this film, clearly. And yeah, you know, as as I said, that, you know, his. His personal car was a Cadillac. This this car is a Cadillac. It's a 1977 Cadillac Fleetwood Brougham. Brougham? <laughs> B-R-O-U-G-H-A-M? I don't Maybe know. it's Brougham. That sounds Brougham. right. I had the same thing. Thank you so much okay. for introing that okay. because I was like, how in the fuck am I going to pronounce that? So thank you. <laughs> uh, thank and I you. love how the hydraulics kick in and it lowers oh, itself down. Awesome raised rear. As soon as they stop, just lowers all the way down. Just like, <laughs> That's good. And the camera just focuses on it and just yep. lets it happen in real time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so great. <laughs> oh, I love it. A little shout out to Internet uh, movie cars database for all this info we're getting about this car, which we, uh, we get all of our info from on the cars. And uh, interestingly enough, this this model was not really used much in movies and TVs. It was usually later years of this type of Cadillac, later uh, year models that were used. So uh, not only is this car awesome, but it, it's 
the only it's it's the main use of this model in any hmm. interesting hmm. um but uh what do you guys take about the characters that are hiding here they uh what do you think they're they're thinking when when the duke pulls up because um, we just get a in this minute we just get a very quick uh shot of them at the very end as they see him climb out of the car yeah, and damn it, we missed by one second this being our sixth minute with absolutely no dialogue, too. We just <laughs> uh, I think that Snake is just taking stock of the situation. I mean, he was prepared to stand there and start shooting. Uh, Maggie and Brain, you can tell if, as you freeze at the end of this minute, they look scared shitless. Yeah, they are kind of mesmerized by the spectacle that they just witnessed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This is one of the most iconic scenes from this movie, the introduction of the Duke. Uh, so I love that you uh, allowed me to be on here and talk about it. Um, when I think about this movie, it's it's one of several scenes that always comes to mind. It's it's like the flyover of the city. Um, it's the entrance of the Duke. Um, and uh, th- these are the things that always stand out in my mind uh, when I think of this film. So it's... Uh, just goes to show uh, the brilliance of the casting and the the set piece here and the the car that they put together. Like the car is just unforgettable. I think it's interesting that they didn't use this as an opportunity to create some science fiction vehicles. That there's a route they could have taken with this to go more of a Back to the Future route or a Blade Runner route. And, and kind of push what they would have would be a, a future vision of vehicles because it, this is when this came out, obviously it's, you know, the, the future times that they happen to choose vehicles that are, you know, older, you know, like there's a 1975 Mercury Marquis Coupe, a 1978 Pontiac Catalina sedan. There's a really brief shot of a 1976 Ford Country Squire wagon <laughs> that they chose things where, I mean, you know, this came out in 81. So you know, a car that's only, you know, four or five years old is, is you know, not not a big deal. But it is interesting that they, they went that route and they didn't go, you know, something a little bit more, you know, tricked out to be like, mm, even though these are like beat up, they could still show something having weather or been beat up, but they chose an older vehicle. And I think you had a, you know, there were some good points made about, you know, not choosing a luxury vehicle just because like old American steel, like that's valid, but I do th- still think it's interesting as we talk about and, and ask people about this being a science fiction film, that these are those moments that I would traditionally feel that if I would qualify as it as a science fiction film, this would be the point where they could go that route and take that creative Liberty. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, someone I hadn't thought about before, but you're right. They could have done that. This is supposed to be in the future. Um, so why would they not be driving around futuristic cars? Um, I think it's a smart choice that they did not, you know, like when you see that done in movies, it it does not always work. Um, Mm -hmm. you mentioned, you mentioned Blade Runner. I think Blade Runner is an example where it does work. The aesthetic of that film is just done in a way that everything kind of works. But, um, Another one of my kind of cheesy favorite action movies, uh, Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> they do do that, and it, it it looks so strange because they have all these shots sort of in suburban America that look just like how it would look now. And then they're driving around these like 
ultra futuristic cars, like almost too futuristic. It looks almost ridiculous. Mm. And uh, it just immediately pulls you out of the movie a little bit. It's, it's so out of place. Um, and I think keeping these cars old and a little beat up and I mean, they're, they're modified to be awesome, <laughs> obviously, but <laughs> it keeps with the aesthetic of, this world they're in where it's an abandoned place. So everything feels kind of old and there's trash cans on fire. And, you know, this is a land that is somewhat forgotten by the rest of society. So I kind of like the idea of keeping with that aesthetic that, Oh, well, we just have older cars here because that's all we got. Mm. You know, and I mean, in the, in the universe of the movie with it being 1997, for all we know, there are some futuristic type cars out there, but those are the ones that people make sure to take with them when they walled off the city. And they're like, well, leave yeah. this old shit here. We don't know, you know <laughs> who cares about it. You know, we don't want these cars. <laughs> leave them for the prisoners coming in. Right, right. Like I said, maybe they got this one out of the impound yard, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I have to, I, I, I did look at my notes from the Chuck Full of Nuts episode to, <laughs> because it, I, I knew that I was saying it wrong in yesterday's minute. So. Just to correct myself from back in minute 41 when I gave the, the true story, uh, it it was started out as nut shops. That's why it's chock full of nuts. The depression started, and then he changed into lunch counters serving coffee and sandwiches, but he kept the name. So uh, that's that's the real story. Mm. Okay. There it is. There you go. I do like chock full of nuts, though. That's great. <laughs> 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 see i hadn't heard of it either so just yeah <laughs> you know so eric had to school me because i was like i just i mean you know watching this i just thought it was made up i didn't know it was a real thing yeah i had never heard of that until you guys mentioned it tonight um i had no idea east coast thing mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah or even i mean it's really even mostly new york thing even new york thing yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you another uh i'm gonna tie your predator show into this one again i'm gonna ask you another one here Okay. Uh, of the, of the crew, mm. which of the crew, if they if they were dropped into Manhattan prison, not not even on a snake mission, just they were arrested, sent to prison. Which crew do you think would have would would just fare the worst? Would have the hardest time fitting in and, and probably die the soonest? Oh man, um, my thing that comes to mind first is Hawkins, and he's mm. also the first to die in Predator. Yeah. Um, Hawkins is a lovable character; he likes to tell jokes. Um, but he's also kind of the least soldierly, if you will, of the characters. Um, and uh, he is someone I would I would think would just maybe not have the grit to uh, survive in that world uh, without a, a crew around him uh, helping to protect him. Um, we've also in our in our uh, podcast we haven't gotten to the point where uh, Mac gets killed, but. Um, Max seems like someone who has a hard time holding it together as the situation gets more stressful. So uh, he might be one to kind of go off the rails a little bit. And, uh, you know, uh, famously in Predator, he's he kills the pig or the hog on accident. Um, he spends a lot of the movie sort of shaving in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's one that might uh, kind of have a mental breakdown uh, and not survive very long, whereas Hawkins might just uh, not have the strength um, and the know-how, the street smarts, if you will, to survive. Nice. 
Yeah. So there's my take. Yeah. <laughs> I think Dutch would do just fine. Well, of, well, of course. Come on. <laughs> if we can kill the Predator, we can take out the Duke. Right. Yeah. Mm. He would be running the place after a few weeks. So uh, where can we find you guys out on the interwebs? Yeah. So um, myself and John Zabriskie are part of the Predator Minute podcast. You can find us on Facebook. We have a group there, the Predator Minute Listeners Palapa. Come find us there. Uh, we're on Twitter, Predator at Predator Minute. Uh, you can also email the show at PredatorMinute at gmail.com. Um, and I myself am Jeff Glover, and I'm also on Twitter. You can find me there, uh, Carl underscore Hungus 314 <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> so come follow me if you'd like. and thank you again for having us on this week this has been really fun thank you for being here and i know that the the duke took john away um but uh thank you to john also for for joining us this week so yeah i'll do some uh i'll do a little uh, looking around for him perhaps i can i can rescue him bring him back indeed yeah you only have like a day to do it but if you can (laughs) sort that out that'd be awesome (laughs) as far as our podcast you can follow us on twitter at ny minute pod also the facebook group brains library and the escape from new york minute i'm gonna start that again you can follow us on twitter at ny minute pod also the facebook group brains library the escape from new york minute hangout and I'd like to give a shout out to Brad Mendenhall, who was our quietly dangerous and silent producer, but he busts his ass on our podcast and makes amazing edits. And we are very, very grateful to him. And with that, beyond time, stay out of the sewers and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.